This hour sponsored by Dell Technologies, enabling digital transformation for media workflows. is NAB Show Live. And we're starting off with a really, really interesting topic, restoration, which brings the old and the new together in some really interesting technological ways. I'm here with a wonderful group of experts on the topic of restoration. Uh, we've been here before. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Directly to my right is Larry Chernoff, who's the Chief Executive Officer of MTI Film. And next to him is Bill Bagalar, Senior Vice President of Technology at Sony Pictures Entertainment. And last but not least, Grover Crisp, who's the Executive Vice President of Asset Management, Film Restoration, and Digital Mastering at Sony Pictures Entertainment. That's a mouthful. So, has it been an interesting year for restoration? It certainly has. Uh, what, has the year been any, brought anything new or interesting? I know, Larry, you have some stuff to talk about. We do. Um, what we have been focused on this year, actually for the last several years, is automation. Mm -hmm. uh, we are trying to bring automation as much as possible to the, to the uh, discipline of restoration. And uh, we're finding that we're making good progress. Uh, we have some technology that we're showing at the, uh, this year. Most of it has to do with uh, full frame replacements. That would be stabilization, that would be Flickr, and to some extent, we're, we're hoping to show in the next day or two, if we can get it together, uh, a new algorithm for dirt and scratch. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, Bill and Grover, you both are kind of in the, you're in the, in the thick of things. You're the ones trying to use all these different tools for restoration. What has this, this trend of automation, how has it impacted you? How is it, you know, when you're in the process of actually doing it, do you see an impact from automation? Well, automation has always been kind of the holy grail for this type of work because it's, it can be so labor-intensive from a manual perspective. Uh, you know, it's not unusual to have uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 people working on a film, each at their own little workstation, uh, trying to clean up all of the dirt and the scratches and... and uh, other anomalies that you may have with a film. So obviously the more you can automate that uh, kind of a process or any others that, that Larry was, is thinking of like uh, color breathing and flicker and so forth, it will shorten the time, hopefully uh, 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 bring the cost down. I know Larry's always interested in bringing the cost down. And, and uh, so those are the those are the kind of the key interests, of course, in terms of automation. And has it? Have you seen the impact of that? I mean, I know it's been an evolution. Automation. Oh sure, yeah. Over like, the years, I mean, we've been working with digital technology since around 1991 at our wow. studio, and uh, throughout the 90s, of course, it was a very, uh, very much a research and project, uh, yeah. uh, R and D project for that whole decade, really. And, um, but always from the beginning, uh, automating certain process has always been one of the key goals. So I'm curious, in the 90s, I mean, that was just the beginning of digital technology, period. 
What were you able to do in restoration in the 90s? Were you working, Larry, in restoration in the 90s? Not, not in the early 90s, no. Yeah. Uh, late 90s, yes. All right, uh, so Grover, Bill, tell me, what, were you, what was Sony experimenting with? Well, Grover could talk more to what Sony was doing, but in general, when you started to get scanning technologies and, ah, and, and digital, digital transfer of negative and being able to do things in that space, it was very difficult, but, but that was certainly the, the start of being able to do something that you couldn't do before, right? Right. So, Bill, are you in the position then that your, your job is to kind of keep track of the big picture and identify technologies that could be useful? Exactly. We, we're constantly looking at the, the technological landscape to, to see what we're going to Right. To see what, um, what is the, not, not just the latest in, in technologies that are being used in the industry, but how those things can apply to restoration because restoration actually is a very different sort of animal. Even, even from the transition uh, from the DI days, right, when we were scanning film and doing digital intermediate, and we, have, we brought a lot of uh, tools to the new theatrical realm that are now able to be applied to restoration titles as well, but, but restoration still has a, a whole unique set of tools that are required because it's a very different sort of animal. Well, you brought up a couple of interesting things. One, you said that digital technology in general has eventually been able to be applied to restoration. I'd love to hear what those tools are. And then I'd like to hear again, and maybe you can all comment on what the specific tools that restoration requires. So why don't you start off with the first one. What are the digital, the more general digital technologies that evolve that can be applied to restoration right now? Well, certainly color correction. Ah, okay. Uh, and uh, the, the, the scanning techniques uh, have improved over the years. There's, the restoration field is a very narrow field, quite honestly. The, the uh, uh, number of developers in restoration, I can count on my right hand and actually not even get to the full five fingers. So it's, it's a fairly narrow group of people who are focused on doing uh, development for restoration. Ah, I see. Uh, but the technologies uh, that each company is producing are, sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. So I have found that, quite honest, I, I've used competing products in our restoration in order to accomplish something that we don't do and vice versa is, is true as well. But the technology of, of scanning has improved tremendously. Uh, color correction, clearly. Um, the uh, handling of media in general. The storage, the computing power, all of that has contributed to bringing uh, more product into the, uh, into the market uh, faster. Well, in a way, that's a good thing because it seems that, as you said, if restoration is a narrow, it's kind of a niche market, nobody's, it's like uh, pharma, pharmaceutical companies don't develop drugs for illnesses that only impact a few people. So I would imagine it's hard to get to encourage people to develop tools for a niche market. It is. <laughs> I will just simply say that. And it's not just that it's the niche market. They're very challenging problems. Ah. So, so you have to have people who are not only interested in the, in the field and developing for the field, but also have that drive to, to solve a problem that's really, really hard. Well, you've talked a lot about the tools that have improved. I'm Grover, I'd be interested to hear from you. What are the problems and issues that you still have that you wish you had tools to resolve? Well, uh, I guess in an overall sense, everything. But, um, 
but there are certain things that have we've we've benefited from uh, over these years. Uh, 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 Bill mentioned digital intermediate. Well, digital inter when that first started about you know 20 years ago now, um, I realized that was the very model of digital film restoration, which is you scan the film and you color grade it and you manipulate it in some way, right. whether it's removing wires or removing scratches, which mm -hmm. is a kind of a similar process in, in a way. Um, and a lot of the, the software, if you will, for restoration came from the visual effects uh, area of motion pictures. In terms of it being a, a narrow market, uh, I suppose that's true, but you know, we've literally restored hundreds more films over the last 20 years than we've actually made films. Really? Over the last 20 years. Well, sure. Uh, you know, a, a, a studio would typically make 20 to 30 films a year, uh, maybe more if you're a, a, a conglomerate kind of a studio, and um, we've, we've restored generally two to three times that per year. That's amazing. And most of that is market-driven for, you know, the newer technologies that have evolved over the years, whether it was Blu-ray 10 years ago or now 4K and HDR. So, um, but I, I think it keeps evolving. I'm, I'm really stunned by that statistic that your the restoration is really, I'm curious, prior to digital technologies, how many films were you able to restore a year? How many films what? were you able to restore a year, before per year? Yeah. Oh, before, ah, well, that was uh, interesting because we could do probably just as many or more. It just depends on uh, uh, the venues and the, you know, in, in the, the prior to digital it was photochemical, of course, and there were a lot of labs. Right. And so we worked at all those labs. Now that there are digital labs, so to speak, that we work at, there aren't as many, but we also work at all of them. So some of that is a capacity issue, I suppose. And yet I imagine restoration is kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge, right? As soon as you get to one end, you just have to keep go back the other end. I mean, there's, there must be a backlog of so many films to be restored. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, that's it, why it I seems think to not end. is <laughs> yes. so critical. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of film titles out there. Yeah, there are a lot of film titles. I think I told you one of my most astonishing statistics, UNESCO came out with the statistics of the number of millions of feet of nitrate that have never been and will never be transferred. So that's a lost history right there. Of course, the studios have a financial incentive to uh, restore titles. So, is that true among all the studios? Do they all have an incentive to restore titles? Well, there is that incentive, of course. But I think what you're referring to there is uh, the the nitrate holdings in archives uh, uh, around the world. And uh, for example, UCLA Film and Television Archive—they have millions, and millions of feet of nitrate uh, film. But you know, there's a cost involved there. Nowadays, of course, there's the laboratory issue that I mentioned. And some places like UCLA, they have their own internal laboratories now as well. Um, as far as the studios go, in terms of that particular question about that particular type of film stock, 
I'm not aware of anyone that hasn't uh, certainly preserved all of that film on safety film stock. Right. Well, I know whether that or not they've been restored is maybe a different. It's matter. a different matter. I know also that it, we we tend to think of restoration as, you know, as we were just talking about the the guy that found the Mary Pickford film in the barn. It's some really really old film. You told me about finding a silent film in somebody's house in France. But in fact, restore, we do restore titles that are not that old. You said you're working on Gandhi and Easy Rider, correct? Sure. And neither of them are really that old. Well, Gandhi is uh, you know, well over 30 years old, and um, some people would say that that's old. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that film, you may think that that film did not be, need to be restored in the way we would think of something like you referenced there for a, a silent film that's been lost for many years. But, you know, there was a fair amount of wear on that particular negative. So we, we look at it from the perspective of the condition of the original materials. So there, was, there are a lot of films that are made in more recent decades that have... Uh, a lot of protection materials, on, including Gandhi, obviously. Um, but now when we want to work on a film, we try to go to the earliest generation we can, which would be, of course, the original camera negative. Right. And sometimes that's not in such great shape. So uh, remastering is and restoration kind of go hand in hand with titles like this. And I, I know you said, Gandhi, this is the second time it's been restored, is that correct? No. Or remap? No. 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 Okay. I think you may be referring to our conversation about Easy Rider, which ah, okay. we're now doing a, a new 4K restoration of Easy Rider for the 50th anniversary. We did a photochemical restoration in the late 90s, which did involve uh, a fair amount of digital restoration at that time but it was a very low resolution kind of uh, process that we used, not much more than high definition actually. And so now we're able to use all the full tool sets that we have, including the high resolution scanning, making use of uh, high dynamic range, which we're doing with this film. And we will talk about that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I know that everybody, we've always talked about as film being the ideal archival medium, but I'm wondering is there, do we see any uh, other archival medium of the future that might be able to retain this material in kind of an agnostic uh, frame rate, an agnostic uh, resolution that could be used indefinitely? There, there, are, there are definitely technologies that are being explored. I don't know that there's one technology that everybody agrees is the, is the medium. My, my feeling is that there will probably be multiple ways to achieve that in the, in the future. Um, Film is still a, a known quantity. We know how to store it. We know how to preserve it. We know how, how it reacts over time. Um, with some of the newer digital technologies that'll help us create archives in the future, we have, we have an understanding of how they work, but, but we, we're also sort of placing bets on what, what's gonna last, right? Right. And, right. Uh, and so I think when, it's just gonna take a little while. Film, film is still there. Obviously we have a lot of titles on film that are you know, perfectly fine. There's no, no issues. We have a lot of digital titles that are perfectly well protected. They're fine. It's just a matter of letting things sort of uh, settle out and figure out what are the right technologies for the, at least for the studios with large, large libraries to figure out. Okay, what's what are the 
right technologies to, to move forward. Obviously, we make a lot more digital product today than we do, you know, actually right. for chemical. Right. Larry, do you have any point of view on this topic? Well, I, I, I would just say I agree with Bill. <laughs> it's, it's true. There's so many different things that are possible, and uh, you have to make your best choice. I wonder if this, you know, what trajectory this will take in the future, if SMPTE is going to get involved with standards or, you know, how will it move forward? How will it move from an idea to an actual product that everybody accepts? Well, that's difficult. Yes. I mean, every studio has its own ideas about how to preserve things uh, and even their own ideas about what restoration means. Right. You know, so I, I, would, I would say it's as varied as there are studios and producers. I was in, um, you mentioned you were in, uh, actually somebody mentioned they were in China. I, I was in China uh, not too long ago and I went to their Ar National Archive, mm -hmm. which is uh, in a city called Xi'an. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was astonished at how much effort is being put into preserving their film culture. Uh, they have built enormous vaults, subterranean vaults, all climate controlled, and so a great deal of, of effort and time and money has been spent, uh, particularly in this city of Xi'an, to preserve their film culture. And hmm. uh, so governments are involved in preserving yes. film as well as studios. Yes, well, Library of Congress, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, we were talking about the new technologies that arise. I mean, when you, when you have to transfer a film to 4K because 4K didn't exist X number of years ago. And now one of the ones that have come you know, to the fore is high dynamic range. And I understand Bill Grover referred to it that you're really struggling with this or maybe working with this topic right now. Uh, I mean, it, it's a technology that um, from a, from a market-driven standpoint, you know, we want to be able to make content that can that can represent the, the, the title in the best way possible. High dynamic range allows us to do and, and show certain aspects of titles that is sort of a new, cre creates a new experience for people. Um, and at the same time, it also creates some challenges on certain catalog titles and how do we, how does, how does a film that never existed in that space, how do we, how do we maintain whatever the creative intent might have been in that space? And, but, but the technologies are allowing us, um, not only from a, from a display standpoint, but from a scanning standpoint, high dynamic range scanning and being able to, to pull more out of a negative um, in order to present that information and give the colorists and the restoration artists more information to actually be able to help their job. And, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a tool and it's all, you know, how do we, how do we use that tool uh, in order to, you know, create that experience for people. Okay. You have some comments on, Larry, you look like you want to say something well, about... No, I, was, I was just thinking about the scanning uh, technologies that are out today. And I, I had an experience not too long ago with a title that was a black and white title and they had no negative and they had several generations down of print. And uh, so we took the title and we did it on a, a scanner uh, that was a little old-fashioned and the detail was missing. We just knew it. So then we, we put it on a different scanner and we triple flashed it. And it was extraordinary how much detail came out because of the ability to triple flash. Interesting. Yeah, so um, what really would have been lost, all that detail that was lost, which I couldn't even see with my naked eye, honestly, uh, came out and, and changed the, 
the entire nature of the of the particular scene that we were working on. So, in other words, you're able to handle uh, take material and handle the color, the HDR aspect of it, and your in your yeah. But this was more just getting using the high dynamic range capability of the scanner just to 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 be able to yeah retrieve the image that was seemingly lost to the naked eye. That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it was extraordinary. Well. So Grover, yes. From but I, I think that this points out one of the key things for, for me in high dynamic range in doing restoration work. And it's not about how bright it, how bright it will be or uh, anything like that. And a lot of people seem to think, oh, well, it's just a lot brighter. When in fact, it's a lot more detail. It brings out a lot more detail. And this is detail that actually was captured and is there. You just haven't see it, not because we... Uh, 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 a lack of, of, of tools, but we haven't been able to see it because of the limitations of standard dynamic range. Right. So when you look at something that's HDR uh, next to side by side with SDR, you realize how limiting that SDR image really was. Um, so that's the thing that I like most about it, working with HDR is that it brings out this detail that was always there, you just really couldn't see it. Right. Now, has it changed your workflow at all, Grover? Well, it's made it more expensive <laughs> and, uh, and, Very light. And, takes a, and and it doesn't really take longer, however, it takes more time. Uh, yeah. because generally when we we start a project that's going to the color grading is initially SHDR. Right. Uh, you know, you derive everything else from it, so it's not really. It doesn't really take longer. Okay. It doesn't add to that. All right. Well, I th let's circle back around. We started off talking about automation, and now when we talk about automation, we always mean artificial intelligence or machine learning. So um, those are the newest tools, and I know, Larry, don't you have something to talk about here? Yeah. Well, I'm going to take an adversarial position on this. <laughs> Please do. Um, I think uh, Bill and I and Grover were talking about this last night, about the effect of, uh, long-term effect of AI. I think long-term, maybe over the next 20 years or so, if, if somebody has enough interest in doing it, and there's profit perhaps in doing it, as opposed to doing it as a, an experiment, a science project, um, I think the potential is there. Uh, you would need to collect an enormous number of samples uh, to be able to uh, have machine learning uh, do what we can do with traditional algorithm work. So in the short term, at least where I stand, is we're going to focus on traditional algorithms uh, and see whether or not we can get to that 80-20 ratio that everybody's looking for, which is 80% uh, automation, 20% manual intervention. So what about, you're introducing, about to introduce Shine, the new tool Shine? Yes. And tell us about that for a second. Well, that's an interesting uh, topic because I've been working on that with this company for about a decade now. And we had an iteration where we thought we were on to some form of machine learning where, um, and this started about eight years ago, where we had the user or the operator um, defined what was dirt and what was not. And we thought that was going to be a methodology that was going to uh, propel us into another uh, higher state of, of learning. And it, uh, it, to be honest, it, it failed. 
Uh, so we decided to go back and, and check traditional type of algorithm work, and Shine is the result of that. And really what its, its objective is to, um, to reduce the amount of manual intervention that's going to be required and to give just enough tools to the operator so that he can, so that, so the operator can arrive at a point where it is relatively artifact free and, and accomplishes about 80% of the, of the requirement automatically. That's really our objective is to liberate these uh, libraries and allow them to do the work regardless of the budget. Got and it. It, the more machine, uh, the more machinery you can bring to, the, or the automation, I should say, you can bring to the process, the more films will get preserved. Well, I think we have to wrap up momentarily, but Bill, I'd like to give you the last word about your thoughts about AI tools. Oh, yeah. To Larry's point, um, AI has some really, and machine learning have some really interesting long-term potential, but humans are really good at, at identifying anomalies in pictures that are flipping by, and Machines today are, are, are not really good at that. I mean, there's algorithms that help, help identify these things. And, and like Larry said, it's going to take a lot of time and effort and a lot of material input in order to try to create a, a, an AI system that can actually think like a person, see like a person, and react to those things that are anomalous, that are, you know, there's, there's anomalies that show up that are supposed to be there, and there's anomalies that show up that aren't supposed to be there. And, well, and identifying those are, are challenging. And even for humans, sometimes it's challenging. Well, let's, I have an, an idea. Let's get together next year and talk about where we're at with AI and sure. restoration. Thank <laughs> you, gentlemen, good. so much. It's been a real pleasure, and um, enjoy the rest of your show. Thank, Thank you. you. This hour sponsored by Dell Technologies, enabling digital transformation for media workflows.